Hi, my name is Roy Layton, and in this episode of the Theatre of Peace, I'm having a conversation with Sean McGrath, who's the creative director of Alter Ego Creative Solutions, who's going to be exploring the power of theatre to create the conditions for peace. Sean, thank you for joining me for this podcast. Uh, I know how busy you are, and uh, we were talking before we sort of came live about the uh, how your work isn't just about putting on productions in schools and working professionally, but it's also you seem to take your pastoral care of your current and uh, earlier students very much to heart. And I'm I'm kind of curious to pick that up. I know that wasn't planned, but I think this fits into this conversation around transrationalism and communicating mm. as much with the head and the heart. How, how do you feel about that? Are you okay? Yeah, we'll talk about what you'd like to talk about. Okay, so tell us a little <laughs> bit about you, because, because your, your journey, if you wouldn't mind, just before we get into the conversation, what you do and how did you get here to this, this place of being the... the uh, a very circuitous really. So I left... Um, Nearly 50, yeah. uh, left school. You're looking good. <laughs> By the way, can I just point out, this is the first face-to-face interview since lockdown, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit giddy with excitement. So, yeah, so... You're... So, yeah, I left school at 16. Um, very directionless, really. So I, I ended up uh, joining the army. So I spent a brief stint um, in the parachute regiment. Uh, left that, uh, and then, again, just a bit rudderless, a bit directionless, mm. went travelling... Didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, got back from travelling and decided to go back to college. And, and I just literally quite whimsically just uh, went to do an access course. And I thought, well, I'll do English because that seems important. Mm. I'll do psychology because that seems interesting. And I've always had an interest in history. So I started studying those with the aim of, as an access course with the aim of then going to university to choose one of them to do. Uh, so it's really enjoying it. And then as part of the English course, um, we went over to the old fire station in Oxford and we were watching yeah. uh, Measure for Measure. And I just had a, a real cathartic moment whilst watching it and realised that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, at the time I thought, I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor, that's it. And it seemed like a real crossover of the sort of physicality of, of soldiering and the and the drive of soldiering and then that that, that real crossover of English psychology and history so I wrote to lots of drama schools um, so I said I want, I want to be an actor and they wrote back a couple of them and said well you've got no experience whatsoever <laughs> interesting life so far but go and do a, a BTEC or go and do something um, get a bit more of a grounding in it really mm. so at the college I was at I re-signed over um, started uh, BTEC the following year did two years of a BTEC I was really fortunate in that that we managed to go up to the Edinburgh Festival with, with a play that one of the tutors had written and um, mm-hmm. again, it did really well. We got five stars in the Guardian, and then nice. it sort of it did did superbly. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can I can do this. Yeah. So on the back of that, I thought, right, I'll apply to drama schools again. So uh, applied to the Oxford School of Drama, um, which at that point, again, I don't know why. It's the only one I applied to. I thought, oh, you're there. Applied and, and managed to get in. Mm-hmm. So three years at uh, Oxford, and then worked as an actor for eight or nine years. And then when my wife and I had kids, and so my wife's an actress as well. When my wife and I had kids, we thought, well, I can't, how are we going to do this? So we'd, we'd already potted around directing and producing our own little bits on the fringe in London stuff. And we thought, right, we'll, we'll, we'll set up a company, we'll, um, we'll set up a theatre company. At exactly that point in time when we decided to set up a theatre company, we, um, I happened to be on tour with a little project and we were in back of, I was a backup in Northampton. Yep. I was sat in a pub 
and a friend of mine had just taken over the road mender oh, which yeah, had been yeah. used as a nightclub for years but yeah. when I was young it was where I watched uh, Frantic Assembly and, and Chaos Theatre Company yeah. and loads of them when it, was, when it was much more of an art centre and a friend of mine had taken it over and, and I sort of just we were having a drunken chat I was like do you want a theatre company in residence he was like yeah that, that would be great yeah come, come you know there's a room you can have um, you, you, can ha- you, can, you can use it until you start if you start making any money start paying us some rent so we were like, right, okay. So we were living in Kent at the time. We were like, right, we moved up to Northampton with, with, with a small child with the aim of doing stuff in this space and running workshops, and we thought we will do new writing. And within a month of being up, um, my friend that was running it, he sort of got, he got turned over a little. It was, it was a little dubious what had happened, but somebody, they, they, they screwed him over a little and he didn't get the space. He was actually booted out. Mm. And someone else came in and was just going to run it as a nightclub and stuff. And... Um, I sort of turned up to grab all of our stuff thinking my god what are we going to do this was the space we were going to use we'd have meetings with the Royal Intern Gate around any support they could offer us doing new writing and, and we're like what are we going to do and the guy the, the guy that had done the sort of hostel takeover of the venue said no you can stay I was like no it doesn't don't quite like what's happened here mm-hmm. I don't like the energy around this and the day before that happened I'd been at the Portfolio Centre at the university running a workshop with some of the students and that's where they have lots of office space available for creative industries so I just went straight down there and said have you got any offices and they said yeah you know we've just got one come up you can have this one it's nice and affordable because it's part of the uni sat in the office there you know we moved in we're like right well our plan's gone to pop what we were going to do we're no longer going to do we don't have this space and my phone rang and it was a, a random company in Manchester called Encore that book mm. tours and put them into school they book uh, at that time they were booking curriculum based tours so Shakespeare in schools all stuff for when SATs was still still going and they said uh, oh we've been given your name by a friend of yours that knows you've just set up a theatre company we've booked a tour in for, for, we've booked a, a three month tour in of, of Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet into schools around the country and the company that we that we had to do it have had to drop out could you start this tour could you pick up this tour and get, be going in two weeks <laughs> which I just like Yes, yes, I can. <laughs> it just, it just, you know, it was so serendipitous. It was so, you know, it, it just saved us. And it, you know, we'd I'd done an awful lot of theatre and education work, applied theatre work when I was working as an actor. So we started doing curriculum-based shows in schools. Uh, we did that for a number of years, and then we got asked if we could do one around child sexual exploitation. And again, we're like, oh yeah, we work in schools. I can find out all about that. So we. We developed our play Chelsea's uh, story, which was Chelsea's choice at the time, um, on the back of that. And again, coincidentally, it was just we developed it. And then at that point, a uh, government report came out um, telling all local safeguarding ch- children's boards that they needed to raise awareness around this issue. And we were like, well, we've got this project we just developed. And mm. all of a sudden, it went, that project went crazy. Yeah. You know, that's been yeah. seen by over a million students around the UK now. Uh, and on the back of that, we started getting commissions coming in for plays all to do with safeguarding and well-being. So people were looking at applied theatre plays that were you know, a different way for young people to learn, more resonant way for them to learn, and we ended up developing plays that deal with all, all forms of safeguarding issues. So we now we have plays that deal with child sex exploitation, county lines, child criminal right. exploitation, hate crime, knife crime, um, domestic abuse, stalking, coercive control, uh, and then resilience and, and overcoming adversity. All cheery stuff. It is, I mean, and, and it's, it's, I'm, I'm really excited because of our, our uh, emerging collaboration around mm. the whole issue of violence, violence mm. in schools, violence in communities, which we'll 
we'll um, add a link to this at uh, some point uh, with the podcast. Mm. But you you have answered uh, all the questions before I even answered. <laughs> but let's uh, let's unpack uh, let's unpack yeah. that a little bit because I think I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone, which is the purpose of these podcasts, which as you know is central to, to the mm. to, to the work that I do, is. Have you ever had a gut feeling or a, a, a um, connection with something or someone or a place uh, or an opportunity mm. that you have acted upon with your, just out of your intuition and it turned out to be exactly the right thing? Now, I've, I've listed them. Yeah, <laughs> so the one, within from that story Kent, alone, there were absolutely loads. Went to yeah. Oxford. So, yeah. so you have... Um, so beautifully in that, if anyone really listening, you've, you've done the, the choices, your travel, your Oxford, your moving from Kent into your decision not to stay in a place mm. that wasn't resonant with you. Um, so it strikes me, sure, that the whole idea of um, intuition is, is important to you. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really important. You know, when, when we started the, the business, Alter Ego Creative Solutions, you know, I, I know about acting, I know about performing, I know about putting plays together, but I knew nothing about business or the business of theatre. Mm. And we've sort of grown into, um, you know, one of the biggest countries in one of the biggest companies in the country for what we do specifically. And in the and in the US, do you go? Uh, to we do some work in North America That's as right. well. Yeah. yeah. So we sort of, you know, we have we we often have ten or eleven teams out and about forty or fifty actors working for us at any point in time. Um, big old turnover now financially we're, we're not for profit so that all goes back into shows and stuff but I've sort of, I, I had to learn about how to run the business side of it and plan the business side of it myself and all I could do in that period when we were growing exponentially was go with my gut uh, you know tr- try and find out as much information as possible but just trust my gut you see well one of the things that you've highlighted is is we're going to explore the term transrational mm. okay and um, before we unpack it in any great detail, what, what do you, how would you define the, the word transrational? What does it mean to you? For me, it's, it's an interesting word. It's one that I remember you, you first sort of introduced me to it last summer, I think. Mm. We were chatting and you used it. I was like, what's that? And then I realised that I just call it by a different, you know, it's, for me it is. It's, it's instinct. It's going with your gut. It's synergy, serendipity, synchronicity. It's... Um, it's, but it's also about balance. We often think of the opposite of, of, of rational as irrational, which it may well be. But for me, the, the partner of rational is transrational. And you need both in the same way that you need a yin and a yang, and you need a, an Apollonian and a Dionysian in order to have balance. And both, both of those voices, the rational side of things and the transrational side of things, need an equal place at the table when you're decision-making. Yes. And if you're organising the budget of mm. you know, several productions around the UK with 50 actors, you have to have a very strong, rational... Mm. You know, you've got to manage the finances, you've got to manage the production, mm. you've got to do all the stage management. So um, I, w- I was advised uh, years ago, because when I went to, to, to Bristol, um, that the idea of going into the arts would be a really good, a really good training if you wanted to go into business. Mm. Now, when I when I set up my art based uh, company and the work that we and we set up another project with Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, in the eighties nineties, there's this real kind of 
the arts can do something interested in business. And there's a whole, I remember there's a whole arts and business, and it's still going strong. Um, lots of people are, are using arts methodologies to for engagement and mm. for presenting. But what you have done, and what anyone running a successful theatre company or film company has to do, is balance the passion and drive of the intuitive and creative alongside paying the bills and putting the show on. Mm. So, um, so to define transrational for those people who are tuning into the podcast, transrational is the going beyond the rational, not, as you say, not dismissing it. So no, no, we accept the, what you can see, what you can measure, what you can think. Mm-hmm. So the practical and the intellectual. Mm-hmm. And the transrational is the creative, the emotional, uh, the intuitive and, and the spiritual, if you mm. like. And Albert Einstein um, said, or is reported of saying, that the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a loyal servant. And we have become a society that honours the servant but has forgotten the gift. Now, I have seen arts practitioners for the past 40 years do very well in business. And I've also seen some really interesting businesses who are able to embrace the transrational and become very, very successful. Mm -hmm. So how would you apply transrationality in terms of the day-to-day running of your your work, how do you bring it in? Again, it's it's giving giving an equal voice to it in our decision making processes about everything really. Um, so whether that's which projects to do, um, when we're developing the projects, you know, uh, listening to our gut on what we think the right direction for for, for that project to go is. Mm. Um, uh, when we're casting, so we're you know we we as I say we have forty or fifty actors working for us usually in in non. Covid times, um, they're usually recent graduates or two or three years out of drama school, and again in the casting process, you know you, you can use your logical mind and think yes they'd be perfect for it, but again you have to go with your gut, you have to go with your instinct on whether you think they're the right fit for the part, whether you think they're the right fit, they're going to be on tour with each other with three or four other actors going around the country in a car living together, and you've got this one or maybe two if we do a recall session to figure out if they're the right one, so you have to go. You have to look at the CVs and look at their past stuff, so all that rational mm. side of things, and then you have to go with your gut feeling about them. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so, so, uh, and in every in every decision that we're making, really about mm. about how the tours are going to run. Um, having meeting, I had a meeting yesterday with um, some commissioner commissioners over in Oxfordshire, and they're looking at developing a project around um, kids and not in education, employment or training. And I sort of said, well, the, the very first stage of the process for me, if you want to commission me for it, is I need to know what you want it to achieve. And that you, you need a, you know, a nice list of what you want it to achieve, but I said, I also want you, to, you need to know how you want the kids to feel after they've seen it and left the room as well. Mm. And that feels like that transactional bit as well, because they're listening to what you mean. I'm like, well, we need to know what the, how we want them to feel. and. Yeah, again, it sort of ties in a little with, um, was it Mark Finish who I did not? Mark yeah, Finch, yeah, yeah, I love the way he said that. We quite often, with theatre projects, we quite often um, count things that don't count, and, and the things that count can't be counted. Yeah. And then that transrational lives, that, that, that's, for me, that's the bits that can't be counted. It's interesting that uh, a little bit of a transrational moment then, one of the first productions that I did in Northampton Round School was all around Neats. Right. 
uh, there was myself and the lovely, still and it's still happening. Um, and um, I remember uh, we had a group of actors, and we actually when it first started, because um, I was running the training arm at Lambda, and one of the students stood out at, at Lambda. His name's Dave Keeling, and he was very funny, but very got a good nose about it. So we. It was a short budget. I said, it would just be a two-hander and we'll go in and talk about boys' engagement in learning and, and, and um, not in education employment. And I remember going, we decided to base it on The Men in Black. Mm. And you can tell, because the movie had just come out and it was about, and so we went to the Royal and Durngate and I remember going to, so I worked there, and going to the wardrobe. I said, I've got two black suits. She went, I've got two blue ones. And we, <laughs> we went... Okay, let's call it the men in blue. And just <laughs> but the idea of um, you engaging in the, the needs program, the Northern Education Employment Training, and the fact that that is still, mm. still uh, an issue. Um, and it, it was, again, one of the first things that we did around schools here. If people, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, when you open yourself up uh, in a rehearsal process or in a in a day to day process of working in the office, um, but you arrive in a state of openness. You, are, you create a state of mm. um, creating the conditions mm. for um, uh, synchronicity, if you like. When you consciously do that, little moments of, uh, of um, little omens, mm. Colm Holland, who I'm doing some work with, who's the author of. Uh, the Secret of the Alchemist. Mm. He, he, he's the guy that okayed the publication of Paolo Coelho's The right. Alchemist. And he said you should look for omens. Like, oh, like you're having a conversation about mm-hmm. something or you've been reading a book and the person you're coming in next to says, oh, have you read that book? Yeah. So when you are looking for little omens, like, oh, you're doing needs now, I didn't need mm-hmm. then. How important are the, is the skill to pick up upon these nuances so what, it's, it's, it's having that openness to, to spot them and, and honour them and uh, you know, to, to be able to spot them and then to honour it and go yeah okay it might not mean an awful lot but it's there for me they're just little indicators that you're on the right path or it's it's, it's the, not necessarily the course of least resistance for you but it's the best best path for you that you're taking here it's just a little little mark and you have to be open to acknowledge that and honour it yeah and I just <laughs> have to say well, um one of the biggest moments of uh, transracialism or a connection that was completely unexplainable was actually about the alchemist, Paola Coelho. Oh. Uh, and I was only chatting with my wife about it the other day, actually. I, I think she was with me at the time. We were walking along. I'd been out to Spain, obviously, uh, my brother who was working out there, and I'd read it uh, in one sitting on Sitting on the Beach. It's a phenomenal book, and it's just it really is. good, isn't it? And it's very resonant, and you're like, yeah, man, this is good. A couple of weeks later, I was walking through an incredibly busy Tottenham Court Road. And I saw in front of me, about 15, 20 metres in front of me, there was just someone with, with their back to me stood stock still, just outside Tottenham Court Station. They just stood stock still, and I could see them hunched over as if they're reading something. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, we're approaching from behind. And I knew in the core of my soul that they were reading The Alchemist. There's no possible way. I just knew that... But the shape of their back, that, that person's reading The Alchemist. And sort of walked past and at a glance and, you know, knocked me sideways that they were. And it's one of those 
missed opportunities, I think. I think I sort of went, oh, that was a bit odd, and walked on. And I think, I wonder what would happen if I just said. engaged them in conversation. So it felt like a little missed opportunity there. Well, it's interesting because uh, uh, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Colm mm. uh, probably for the next podcast. In fact, I feel intuitively that his podcast should follow this podcast mm. because he has a lot to say on the power of this. I mean, he's a lot of research on it and he brings it down to psychology. Now, you studied psychology mm. as well. A little. A little. But the idea of, of understanding how the mind works is different from understanding just how the brain works, not mm. just the mechanics, yeah. but particularly with Jungian psychology, it's about accessing the subconscious. Mm-hmm. When we access the subconscious, the unknown, back mm-hmm. to Mark, you know, the stuff that we don't know, that we don't know, um, and trusting in that, then we can start making uh, decisions that will have mm. a practical, manifest importance, both financially, both in terms of decision making, both intellectually. Um, and the argument, uh, if there needs to be an argument, around the importance of transrationalism is that all of your big decisions, right, who you're going to love, where you're going to live, mm-hmm. will begin with the gut feeling. You have to manage them, you have to manage both of them. And, and I think the work that you're doing, particularly the work, the very important programs like the, the, the county lines, mm-hmm. the, the, the um, exploitation and the violence, I think that's such an important mm. work, but the, the, the reason why it engages the students, I would say, is one of the benefits of it is creates the conditions for mm. the people to have that emotional connection and to be one step removed from it. Yeah, it creates us. For us, it's, uh, we're calling it aesthetic distance. That's right. So it's emotional, it's an emotional, you know, uh, these complex issues can't be, you know, if, if you're looking at safeguarding kids, so, you know, and it's important to say, you know, our plays all work as part of a whole system approach and they're a very early intervention in that approach. They're not a panacea that are going to cure this issue no. and the kid's going to no. watch a play and then never get involved in county lines. We're adding information and feelings into their filters. So that when they're decision-making, they're, they're those, that the emotions are experienced whilst watching something from an aesthetic distance and seeing the consequences on other people, the decisions that they've made, will hopefully embed themselves in their decision-making processes. Mm. Um, yeah, can't remember what I was going with that one. No, no, that, 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 <laughs> I think you said it. Um, but if you were giving advice, if you were giving advice to um, someone who's not necessarily as comfortable with you know, gut feelings and transrationalism as you are, um, and we do, we do have uh, a culture within the UK mm. to kind of dismiss the transrational. Yeah. Uh, at, at best, you'll see it as, as, as an interesting uh, distraction. But at worst, to positively attack it. Mm. Because we, as Mark was saying, and other people have saying in the podcast, is we focus so much upon the measurable. Yeah, and it doesn't fit into it doesn't a box. Fit into so a ignore box. it or rename it, or as you say, we attack it. And it's, yeah airy fairy or arty farty yeah. and, or you're, you're, you're crazy for <laughs> following you and making decisions and so, so the work that we're doing and you're doing um, is about consciously structuring events and experiences for people to uh, explore that intuitive emotional relationship and then do something practical with it mm. so we don't want to just give people a, a good time or an interesting experience because all the work that you do so mm. watch this scene now let's have a conversation about it. And I, I know through COVID you put all yeah. of your stuff online, yeah. which in many ways has created a, a, a wider or a mm. wider audience, but also a different, 
a different way of communicating. Um, but what advice would you give to someone seeking to explore transrationality in their own life? And Again, it's been open to it, I suppose, and, and, and not thinking, you know, not keeping it inside that box and not attacking it. Uh, it's it's just an an unknown unknown. It's you know it's, we say we can't measure it. Maybe it's just we can't measure it yet, and maybe we don't want to measure it in the first place. But it's in the same way as we know with communication, you have got the communication iceberg, where the words that we're saying are only at the very tip of of of, of the iceberg when we're actually having a conversation with someone. There's all that unsaid nonverbal communication, which mm. you know before we understood that it still existed. It was still there. We just don't see it, or we didn't have a name for it, or we didn't call it anything. Uh, that doesn't mean we were still we were communicating with just the tip of the iceberg. It was all there, so it's just a case of being open to it in the same way as that. I suppose is knowing that there's this an unseen side of things that is the transrational that that we just can't measure yet. And See, as I say, I, maybe we don't want to measure it. That would be measuring it. Would be cramming it back into into that structured side of things. You see, I think that's a really a, a lovely image to finish on because you're right. As we develop, as we have evolved, we've moved into the tip of the iceberg which is the stuff that you can see in your measure and then we accepted during the 60s 50s 60s 70s oh actually there is a subconscious mm -hmm. there's other stuff going on and Jung talked about the collective subconscious or the super subconscious which is the transrational and now because people have had and I do hope that people and I know that some people have, have taken the opportunity to use the whole lockdown to really reflect on who they are and what they're doing. And people are making some very, some people are not going back into work mm. or not going back into the work as it was and saying, well, hang on, if I can do as good as in my work by having more time at home. So the world is shifting mm. at the moment and we need to be pragmatic in terms of what we're doing. But we're not going to be able to make those profound decisions without even the acknowledgement that your gut has got something to say. Well, we was, with a lot of our players, as I say, we, we, we were trying to introduce information, uh, both cerebral information and emotional information, into people's filters. And as an example, we, know, we do some training with um, some of the medical students at Cambridge University this right. year right. uh, around domestic abuse, coercive control, and, and stalking. So we show them a few, you know, we use, we're all about using the power of narrative and the power of storytelling to do this. Um, so we play out these narratives for them and in the talk that we do after I'm like you know just you know doctors you got, when someone comes into your room you've got an awful lot to be thinking you know all these medical symptoms that you've got to be trying to spot and we say just build it into your filter build a knowledge around domestic abuse and, and coercive control and stalking into your filter otherwise you're not going to spot it and I use the old analogy you know if all you have is a hammer everything looks like nails if you don't know what something is you ain't going to spot it so if you're open to the idea of transrationalism and, and, and open to the idea of going with your guts, gut feeling and, and your intu intuition, you're much more likely to actually spot those opportunities where you can pursue it. Yeah, and, and that is just good science. Mm. Um, and it is science as well, you know, for years we've been, I've been swearing blind at conferences, you know, storytelling is the best way to do this, you know, narrative is the best way to get these messages across. You know, I've had BBC Radio <laughs> interviews where they're like, oh, you know, you know, is, is theatre a good way to, to educate children? And you're like, well, you know, I'm a theatre man. I think it's the best way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and we've, I've been saying, you know, we love stories so much as a species. We, we tell, them, tell them to ourselves at sleep, when we go to sleep at night. You know, we, we solve the world through dreams and through narrative. 
and it's so lovely now that with the, with the, you know the sort of leaps forward in in neuroscience and neurobiology and and and, and neuromapping, they can show how stories affect the brain and which bits of the brain light up when you're watching a play, which or hearing a story or more importantly telling a story you know that they can literally see it lighting up and we have you know we're starting to collect a big evidence base of the 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 the, the real science behind storytelling uh, I, th- this is too coincidental to but i'm going to say it because it, it's a great way to finish off because after this after this uh, conversation i'm going into a meeting with some of my fellow colleagues from uh, students from Cambridge University, because we've been doing an awa- awareness raising campaign, we're from different students, undergrads, mm. postgrads, doctorate students, um, and part of an organisation that lets people contact the university and say, "Do you want any help on a project?" And I saw a project called Code Four Thousand on supporting um, prisoners on studying technology and coding so that when they leave prison, they can you know get jobs. Mm. And so last week we launched the, we've been planning it for, for a month, a, um, uh, a marketing campaign to raise awareness and we're using the video, we've interviewed this young man in prison who's turned his life around and we're doing 12, 12 week program, a 12 week uh, marketing campaign all based upon the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And every week one of the students will write a bit of a blog on the call to adventure but relate it to this young man's experience, mm-hmm. acceptance of the call. And this week, it was uh, my, um, my turn to write the blog, which is about accepting the call. What stops us from accepting? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you've, you've finished off this conversation, bringing in the whole power of narrative, mm-hmm. as I'm about to go into a conversation with my colleagues about the power of narrative, is just further evidence of the power of synchronicity mm. and transrationalism. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Absolute John. Pleasure. Take care. In the next episode of the Theatre of Peace, I'll be speaking with Colm Holland, who is the founder of the School of Alchemy Transformation and the author of The Secrets of the Alchemist. We'll be talking about how to create a little bit of magic in your lives. Join us then.